And uh, as we continue, I know that um, there are several prayer requests represented within our congregation and uh, those that would call Living Hope Wesley in their church. And as you would like us to remember those, you can certainly uh, continue to email Stacy Granfield, and she has the uh, guided prayer outline on Thursday that goes out. And if there's other requests that you have, just uh, make it known so that we can pray for you and with you and just help uh, in those times of need. I was speaking with someone recently, and they said, Jeff, I feel alone, and I feel distracted, and it seems as though I am more susceptible, not just to temptation now, but to sitting right now. And I think, well, that's when Jesus said, God said, it is not good for mankind to be alone. When you feel isolated, when you feel alone, when you feel susceptible to temptation, that's when Satan's going to tempt you, and that's when we need to gather together and be together as the family of God. Somebody asked, like, why is it important to attend a church? Like, didn't we learn through COVID that you don't need to attend a local church, a building? You don't have to go to a structure. It's okay for you to grow as an individual. And they ask, like, why is it important to actually attend a building with four walls and to see people face to face when we actually survived through the last two years or 18 months or whatever it's been for you? And I said, well, maybe you can, but I can't. And maybe it is because because I'm an extrovert and they are an introvert, but I think it is so good for us to be able to gather together, to see each other and to hold one another accountable, to say that God loves you and we care about you, not just to think like, I know that God loves me, but I feel so alone right now. It is good to be together and good to know that God has a plan for our lives. As we look at Ephesians 4:16 kind of a follow-up from last week. He makes a whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Healthy and growing and full of love. We tried to point that out last week. Healthy and growing and full of love. But I just want to talk about each part does its own special work. I remember I had a job. I was very young. Uh, and the, the director said that it seemed as though the young staff were the holy sandpaper God was using to refine his rough edges. Maybe you feel like you are, or there's somebody that you are sitting next to, don't elbow them or nudge them or not at them, but that you feel is the holy sandpaper that God is using to work off those rough edges so you can become more like Jesus. The body is made up of many different parts. Gathering together, there are those that encourage you that you can't wait to see and frankly, as we continue to grow, of course, nobody here is that person. But as we continue to grow, there might be somebody that you say, oh, I can't believe they're at church today, but I guess God wants me to love them and God wants to use them to be that holy sandpaper that rough that rubs those rough edges off myself. We are the body, many different parts, and God has a plan to make us all grow and mature and become full of his love. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Live no longer as the non-Christians do, as the world is uh, segregated, according to Scripture, apart from Jesus. Do not live hopelessly confused. 
who is hopelessly confused, those that are thrown about, tossed about by the way of their thinking, what they think is right, doing what they feel is best, hopelessly confused. What a terrible, terrible description and thought that you, that I could be hopelessly confused. You think that you have hope. You think you're doing what's right. You think your way is going to lead to the right path to lead to righteousness, but you are hopelessly confused. What good is it if we have no hope? And if you're hopelessly confused, how do people get by? Well, I think they just rely on themselves. The sermons they preach in their own mind, what they think that culture says is right, what they feel like is their dream of success. They are hopelessly confused when God is get, telling us that there is so much more. Their minds are full of darkness. Our minds are susceptible to being full of darkness without Jesus. Our minds have a temptation to wander far from the life God gives uh, the hymn, I forget the hymn now, but it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And you guys could probably finish that hymn, and if I was thinking uh, correctly, if I didn't cut my finger and have such emotional stress, I would have put that down, but no, that's not it. But prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, whether you're a Christian or not. That is Satan's job to distract you, to discourage you, to lead you into disappointment, to depression. So you just want to wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. The proper thing for Christians, you certainly can be tempted and led away from, but hopefully, prayerfully, with the Holy Spirit residing in you as we spend time in God's Word and with other Christians, we have not closed our minds and hardened our hearts against Jesus. Do not close your minds. Now, I would say that we do not want to uh, be so open-minded it can be filled with everything I was listening to a pastor and he said the proper way to think is not to be closed-minded and it's not to be open-minded, it's to be narrow-minded because narrow is a way that leads to heaven, that leads to Jesus. Become narrow-minded that we focus and filter everything that we go through through who God is, that we don't harden our hearts against him. In Judges, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This, again, you can say from the Old Testament is very applicable today. This is from the English Standard Version that <clears throat> in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no authority that they were following. There was no uh, person that they were submitting to. We need to be submitting to God, not a president, not a king. We need to be submitting to Jesus. In the message version, I love how it says this. At that time, there was no king in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing. There was a song, I think it's better than Ezra, was the name of the group that used to sing it, but it was, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. Instant gratification. If you think that it makes sense for you, if it's going to help you, if you can get away with it, if it's just going to help in this time, if it feels good, do it. People did whatever they felt like doing, and it led to destruction. It led to being apart from Jesus. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This is what people are doing. If it feels good doing, they're seeking after this. 
Psychology Today, this is not a Christian publication, but it does reveal what happens in a person's mind that we need to be careful of. Instant gratification. Those behaviors can create problems by changing our brains, distracting us from more meaningful pursuits, and leading to destructive outcomes. When we look at if it feels good, do it. If it seems right in our own eyes, if we want to accomplish something because we think we can, because we're old enough, because we deserve it, well, instant gratification behaviors can create problems by changing our brains distracting us from more meaningful pursuits and leading to destructive outcomes. This is the danger with, if it feels good, do it. This is the danger where I'm old enough to make my own choices. I deserve something good. I deserve that second or third drink. I deserve whatever it is. Are we allowing that instant gratification to become destructive, to have destructive outcomes in ourselves? They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Perhaps that is us at our worst day or in a seldom moment, but this is something that God wants to remove out of our lives, that we do not give up his best for the thought of instant gratification. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Christ in Ephesians 4.20 says that there is something greater than the fear of missing out, FOMO, or the fear of messing up, or the fear of judgment online, or the fear of meeting in real life. These are from Tim Elmore. He does a Growing Leaders podcast. He's a big leadership guy, but he really focuses on adolescence, on teenage years and young adult years, specifically in college. And there is this fear of missing out. Kids, students, they want to be so involved, but they want to be so involved, but then they're so fearful that if I am involved, I might mess up. Or what if I post something online and there's judgment? What if I don't look like how I'm supposed to, according to whatever somebody says, What if there's a fear of meeting in person? He says we need to replace that FOMO, fear of missing out, with JOMO. Well, what is JOMO? Well, according to Tim Elmore, he says it's the joy of missing out. There are certain times when uh, I have been invited to uh, go somewhere, and I'm like, oh, I really don't want to go. There's also been times where I've been not invited to go somewhere where I really didn't want to go, but I wanted to be invited. Has that happened to you? Where you're like, oh, that I can't believe they're doing that and they didn't ask me, but really, I don't want to go, but I wish they would have asked me. There is a joy. We can find contentment. We can find relief in saying it is okay. There's a joy of missing out. And so many things and instant gratification that this world say you need to do. And we feel like, what if I'm going to miss something good? There's a joy in missing out and sacrificing that for what God has for us. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. This is the joy of missing out on instant gratification. That maybe, just maybe what God says is best really is best and really is what we need. Maybe, just maybe, there is a joy that we don't have to be invited to that party. We don't have to be invited into that conversation. We don't have to be invited into that friend group. Maybe there is a joy. There's a protection that God is giving to us by saying, rest in that joy of knowing that you are with me. You don't have to engage yourself in those things. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, in your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and 
deception, corrupted by lust and deception. And this made me think my first vehicle, well, was actually a vehicle my dad bought for $300. $300. It was a 1987 Yugo. And I don't know if you remember the expression, you go, it doesn't. And uh, you goes were fun little cars until somebody, probably the U.S., blew up the Yugo plant in Yugoslavia. And uh, what was awesome is uh, somebody won. I can't remember if it was the person we bought the car from or if dad won it or I won it. But the uh, stereo system in this $300 car cost $500. So the stereo system was actually uh, better than the uh, car itself. And so it was just kind of fun. But that Yugo driving in Vermont got rusty. But with the $500 stereo system, it could shake the rust off of that Yugo. And it was awesome, at least for a little bit. Corrupted by lust and deception, corrupted by rust. If you have something with rust on it, it's not in its new form. It's not as it should be. It's not what it was created to look like. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, that desire for instant gratification, that desire for what can I have now that is deceiving you from the best that God has. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. As God changes our heart, He will change our minds, and that will change our actions. Too often, we want to change our behavior. You want somebody to live differently, but how can they truly live differently if their heart has not been transformed by who Jesus is? Their mind has not been renewed by the truth of Scripture. We settle for lust and deception when God is saying, renew your thoughts and your attitudes to believe that God has something better for us. It is not the instant gratification. It is not the silver bullet. It's not the quick fix. It is the trial of going through whatever God is taking you that he would lead you through it. John Maxwell, leadership guy, he always says stuff and they always rhyme and that's kind of what he gets made fun of for, but it kind of makes me laugh. Or they're simplistic, but the reality is true. Everything worthwhile is an uphill journey. Everything worthwhile is an uphill journey. The problem is we have downhill habits. Everything worthwhile is an uphill journey. If you want to get big and strong, if you want to get uh, healthy, if you want to become successful in, by working hard and people's standards, everything takes hard work. It's an uphill battle, but we have downhill habits of hitting snooze or sleeping in, or we have a cheap day or a cheap month, or, you know, it's just the blueberry pies or a limited time at McDonald's. Anybody like those blueberry pies? Uh, they have one's for 99 cents, two is for $1.79. So if you get two, you're saving money. So why settle at two? Let's get four. And I got four and I put two in the refrigerator and I had them for dinner two nights ago. So maybe I'm speaking to myself, but Everything worthwhile is uphill, but we have downhill habits. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Plant seeds of peace that we might reap a harvest of righteousness. The new nature God created to be truly righteous and holy. Romans 12, 1. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's been said, and I stole it, but the problem with Christians is that as a sacrifice to God, we are still alive and able to choose if we get off the altar and follow our own desires, or if we remain on the altar and allow God to use us. You are living, and God wants us to be living in each day day, sacrificing our desires, believing that he has something better for us. This is true and proper worship. This is what God calls us to. This is not easy. As I prepared this sermon, as I preached it this morning, I was just thinking, this is so nice and convenient to preach behind the screen with nobody looking at me, with nobody questioning, or maybe they question at home. It's so easy, but when you say it out loud, be a living sacrifice and follow Jesus, people could say, well, that's easy for you, but not for me. And I'm saying, no, it's not easy for me either, but it's a call of God on our lives. And so with one another, with gathering together, with friendships, we can hold each other up to the standard that God calls us to righteous living, obedient living, that we don't settle for the instant gratification that leads to dis- destruction that is full of lust and discouragement. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, this is Joshua, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. There is an ultimatum. If it's undesirable, then it's undesirable. But you need to make a choice. You can't follow God in money. You can't follow, have two masters. You have to choose who are you going to serve, whether the gods of your ancestors from uh, beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, Joshua says, as for me, I will lead myself and my household. I will lead myself in this group of people. I will lead myself in this congregation. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And this is not just something you say once. This is something that you remind yourself day after day, perhaps morning, noon, and night. Maybe it's uh, week after week. You are just reminded that I am serving the Lord today, and I am leading my family in that way this month. And I'm going to take the next step forward because without that constant reminder that Jesus is with me, there's no way I can make it by myself. And one time I might be tempted to leave distracted to turn, but I will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We as a congregation must serve the Lord so we build God's character in us that when others see our reputation, they don't see what we want to be seen as, but they see that we follow a Jesus that died for them, that loves them, that has a plan for their lives. Stop telling lies. Stop saying, hey, I'm serving God, and you start living for yourself. Stop telling lies, saying, I'm a Christian, and you do not live like a Christian. You do not follow Jesus. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. But sometimes you just got to get mad and you just got to get mean. Do you? Maybe righteous anger, but do you? What happens when you live 
angry. Like there's a psychology today. There's all this stuff about being angry. And I use one quote, so I thought that was good enough. But if you want to go look it up, what anger does to the human body, what anger does to you emotionally, chemically, it is not good. And so Mark 4, 35 through 37, a familiar scripture. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him when a furious squall, a nor'easter, came up and the waves broke over the boat and so that it was nearly swamped. They thought they were going to capsize. They were rocking and rolling and it was not a good thing. They thought they were going to, at best, uh, be shipwrecked. At worst, they thought they were going to drown and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Have you ever felt so angry and you're like, God, where are you? And it seems like he's just sleeping in the back saying, hey, it's going to be okay. Rest in me. You don't have to get so mad, so riled up. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. How many times have we seen anger? Have we been a part of discussions that uh, escalated so quickly that we're just so caught up in? We are fighting right now. And Jesus wants to say, Shh. zip it, hush. The original language is hush. Jesus said to the wind, hush. Zip it, done, be still, be quiet, be calm, be calm. Do not be filled with anger that gives Satan a foothold for bitterness. Do not give Satan that opportunity where hatred can come in, where we're just like, oh, I just hate him so much. And maybe you say, well, I don't hate anybody. Hopefully that's true. I mean, I get mad enough at Yankee fans that I have to pray about it. It's just some of those things that it's just out of nowhere. You're just like, what, what took place here? And I can't believe that they're cheering for that team, or I can't believe they voted for that person, or I can't believe they don't take a stand for this. I can't believe that they don't care for that. And it becomes where we're so angry, and God is saying, quiet, be still. I have a calm for you to live in. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. This, I find it funny. If you're a thief, stop it. You know, it's very a close translation. It's the same as when Jesus told the storm to be still. Hush, zip, enough. This same word of quit stealing, it's very similar. If you're a thief, stop it. Enough. Be done. Stop it. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Uh, but I want to get rich quick. I want to, I'll just say, I want to play the lottery. I want somebody to give me an inheritance. I want to get something so quick. And Jesus saying, stop it. 
Use your hands to do good, hard work and then give generously. So it's two parts. It's not just work hard, but it's like work hard so you can give generously. It's like, no, if I work hard, then I deserve, I want, I get. And Jesus is saying, no, that again is feeding yourself that instant gratification that you worked hard so you could receive. We work hard so that God can use us to give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let everything you say be good and helpful. I struggle with a lot of things. This is probably something I struggle with (laughs) even more than most. Good and helpful. I'm like, well, yeah, if you do what I say, then it's going to be good and helpful. But saying it in that tone or in that way, that's not good and helpful. It's more like you need Jesus and I need Jesus and let's go after Jesus, not do what I say. Are we pointing people to Jesus or are we trying people to have people look like us, live like us, do what we say? Is that really good and helpful? Are we truly being an encouragement with our words to those who hear them? We need to encourage each other in who Jesus is by doing good, saying good, and living generously. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. This is written to the church. It's not just written to non-Christians. There's warnings about how we treat non-Christians and what non-Christians are doing incorrectly, but this is written to the church. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Now, the good thing is when we do, we can say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a knucklehead. You know that you created me, but I want to choose step by step, day by day to move forward so I don't make you sad. I don't bring you sorrow, but I remember that you have identified me as your own. So I want to live after you because you have given me salvation. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. From the heart, the mouth speaks. I was very proud of myself when I slipped my finger like it's so deep that it doesn't need stitches at all. It just looks pretty fancy all taped up. I was so proud of myself that when I did that, like there weren't any bad words that came into my mouth. I just kicked the the door under the sink because I was like, oh, I cut myself and I couldn't believe it. But I think it goes well beyond that to get rid of all bitterness, rage and harsh words. Instead, be kind to each other. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgiving one another. Well, God can forgive them, but I'm not going to. Well, they don't really deserve forgiveness until they ask for it. God has made his forgiveness available to every single person on earth whether Christian or non-Christian. His forgiveness is available to them. He has forgiven them. They just need to receive his forgiveness and ask Jesus to become Savior and Lord of their life. That is what God's example was and his call is for us that we would forgive one another just as God has forgiven us. 
be kind to each other, be kind. We went to a uh, Iron Sharpens Iron. It was a men's conference. This was several years ago. And the speaker said, too many people want to be nice. God calls you to be good, to be kind. You can't just be nice and avoid the conversation and avoid the topic and just put a smile on. God calls us to be good, and it is not good if you know the truth and you do not share it. God says, be kind and instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. God wants us to speak the truth in love, to be kind, to share with others who he is, what he desires from a place of being forgiven ourselves. Uh, anybody know what this is? Can you see it? It's kind of... Guys, it's a French press. It's like a coffee maker. But I was told that this will make the boldest, richest uh, coffee that you've ever had. It's like, that sounds pretty good to me. And so what you do, some of you, I know this is, you already know how to use a French press, but you put these coarser coffee grounds in the, the bottom of this French press, and then you pour boiling hot water into the French press. And then after you wait four minutes, and again, the grounds, they aren't as fine. They aren't silky smooth. They're coarse. They're larger. But with the boiling water, after four minutes, you begin to press down to bring out the flavor of the coarser coffee grounds. To get the bold, rich coffee, it needs to be pressed down. And I know it's very simplistic, but for me, it was like enlightening. It was an epiphany. It's like, oh, I need to use this today. But it was such an epiphany that I forgot to bring a French press, so I just used a picture instead. But it was... Maybe God wants our words to be so rich to people that first he needs to press us down and refine it. So that coarseness of the grounds, that's not what people see. That's not what people taste, but it's the richness of the coffee, the, the bean itself, the identity of the purpose for that coffee bean was to bring out that flavor, that richness, that boldness, that wholeness, that when people drink it, when people hear us speak, they hear us after we've been refined and pressed down by the truth of Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, this is the kindness God is referring to, that after we go through trials, God makes us new, that we throw off the old self and the new that God has created us. People see that instead of, look at me, these coarse, thick coffee grounds. It's so important. Just think what's going to come out of it. Instead of talking about what we are, we talk about who he is and what he's accomplished in and through us as we've been pressed down by the renewing of our minds and the transforming of our heart and the recognition of our identity is being hidden with Christ in God. Perhaps Jesus wants us to be pressed down so people will see the rich fullness, the boldness of who he is, not of who we think we are. Be content being hidden with Christ in God and allowing that flavor of who Jesus is to come through in our words and in our actions. Some of you might like instant coffee. Yeah, it's convenient. But instant gratification 
is not what God calls us to. It's a life of holiness that takes time where day after day and decision upon decision upon decision, we choose to bear the cross that Jesus died on, that we might have life. Not us, but his life through us. Please stand as we just close in prayer. Jesus, once more, we thank you that we are free in you. And Father, where slavery has abounded, and we thought we were free to do our own things, we have been slaves to sin. God, we thank you for your forgiveness, and here today we choose to follow after the things of you. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. As we close, we are going to close with that song, No Longer Slaves, and uh, feel free to stand or sit, or if you feel like you need to kneel or pray, lift your hands. We just want to make this not just our testimony, but our proclamation today that we are no longer slaves.